Welcome to Moderately Independent. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Halstead. And I'm Michael Halstead. And it's time for us to get political. So let's go ahead and jump into some news. All right, so we're going to have a shorter episode today. So yay for everybody out there. Don't have to listen to quite as much political talk. We're going to start with something that's really more just painful than anything. So Trump called into Fox and Friends the other day to do a 53-minute long phone interview, basically impromptu, um, where he kept cutting off the, the anchors and wasn't really answering their questions. It was just kind of ranting for like 53 minutes. But I pulled a couple of excerpts of this that I think are important to discuss. So I'm going to start by sort of reading out the first little exchange here. And I'll say who's saying what they say. And then the quote, these are exact quotes from the interview. And then we're going to talk about this. And then there's one other smaller part as well. So start with this. So Donald Trump calls in. This is a five minute and one second in, he says, Brent, he's talking about corruption uh, within the DNC in 2015, 2016, including with Obama's administration and spying on him, which has been debunked, of course. But regardless, he's talking about that. He says, Brennan, and for Clapper and for all these losers that you have <laughs> that you had <laughs> over there, I think it's impossible for them to be doing things. Let's see what it all says, but it's impossible. Susan Rice, the person that worked at the United Nations, who went to FISA reports, whoops, who went after FISA reports, and went after reports like she ate them for lunch. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's hard to read this. When you look at the previous administration, they went after a few, and she was getting them at levels that nobody's ever imagined before. It had nothing to do with her. No, I think this goes to the highest level. I hate to say it. I think it's a disgrace. They thought I was going to win, and they said, how can we stop him? They wrote up a phony, fake dossier, speaking of the deal dossier, for those listening who don't know, this disgusting fake dossier, it's not fake, and they tried to have it put out prior to the election, and just to show you how incompetent they were, they spent millions and millions of dollars. Hillary Clinton paid for it, and the Democrats. A lot of it had to do, they say, with Ukraine. So then Brian Kilmeade goes, but Mr. President, and Trump cuts him off immediately and says, it's very interesting. They have the server, right, from the DNC, Democratic National Committee. And Kilmeade goes, who has the server? And Trump says, the FBI went in and they told him, get out of here. We're not giving it to you. They gave the server to CrowdStrike or whatever it's called, which is a company owned by a very wealthy Ukrainian. And I still want to see that server. The FBI has never gotten that server. That's a big part of this whole thing. Why did they give it to the Ukraine company? Why Steve Ducey then cuts him off? And with a very concerned face, as a Trump supporter says, Are you sure they did that? Are you sure they gave it to the Ukraine? And Trump responds, Well, that's what the word is. CrowdStrike is owned by a Californian and run in California. There's not a physical server. There's nothing that they're holding. They own the server just the way that any ISP owns any server that's being used. Uh, any company like that owns any server being used. That's not illegal, nor is it weird. And the FBI didn't ask for that server because no crimes were committed. They already proved that. Um, I'm going to... 
I'm going to let Michael react to that because I don't think he uh, watched the interview. So I want to hear his reaction to, to that exchange. It's painful. <laughs> Part of it, I get some of the servers. I'm assuming he's talking about Clinton's email server. No, he's talking about the um, this idea that's been debunked repeatedly by Republicans and Democrats in the Intelligence Committee that uh, that he was being spied on by the DNC and by Obama and all that. What that has to do with the impeachment hearings, I don't know. It seems like he's trying to deflect. And yeah, that part I didn't make that connection there. Yeah, that. So I, it's just him ranting. It's just him spouting half truths or no truths again to make himself look better and try to change the situation. It is it's long form of his Twitter is what it sounds like. Yeah, I mean my my thing here is that I see a very. It seems to me that what he's doing is saying, whoa, 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 don't investigate me for corruption in the Ukraine because the Democrats committed corruption in the Ukraine. First of all, unfortunately, that is kind of how politics work. That's not how it's supposed to work. That's not how the American people want it to work. So if you're on Fox and Friends, you're trying to publicly address the people, right? You're trying to convince the people, your constituents. The majority of people aren't going to care if the Democrats did or didn't do that in relation to if you should be impeached for doing that or not. They're just going to say, well, fine, then impeach the Democrats too, or remove the Democrats, or we'll vote the Democrats out. This is a weird argument to me. First of all, it's a straw man argument. But second of all, there's no reason for this argument because, okay, let's say Obama did commit corruption there. He's not a public servant anymore. Let's say that his that the members of his, of his cabinet committed corruption. They're not there anymore. They're not there anymore. It's a moot point. There's nothing that can be done about it. Like a cow's opinion. It's a moot point. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, I wanted to address that just because it's a weird deflection. A weird deflection. Um, so we're going to spend – I want to touch on one more thing he said in the interview. Uh, we have a third thing that is going to be the last thing we, we address here today. But this this one I think is important to talk about. So um, – Maria Ivanovich, who we talked about last week, her testimony, him tweeting and trying to intimidate her, all that stuff. So he talked about Ivanovich and why he didn't like her and why he dismissed her on Fox and Friends. Now, I'm going to preface because for some reason, a lot of news outlets are not. The president has the right, without any form of political blowback, to dismiss any ambassadors that he wishes, for any reason he wishes, period. He does. But there are some reasons that are just really stupid or obviously made up. So the belief currently, the belief of the majority of Americans who know who Maria Ivanovich is, who have been listening to the impeachment hearings, anything like that, the general consensus is kind of this. She was somebody who was actually fighting against corruption in Ukraine. Trump wanted to commit corruption in Ukraine, or Rudy Giuliani did, and Trump didn't care, whatever. And so they got her out of there, right? And so the, the Whitehall belief is that because Giuliani has financial interests in Ukraine, because Giuliani was so 
um, was such a big part of the dealings in the Ukraine that Rudy said, I want her out, and Trump fired her. But this is Trump's quote from Fox and Friends. Now, he talks about her for a little bit, but this is the this is the important section of him talking about why he fired Ivanovich. He says, but this ambassador that everybody says is so wonderful, she wouldn't hang my picture in the embassy, okay? She's in charge of the embassy. She wouldn't hang it. It took, a, it took like a year and a half or two years for her to get the picture up. She said bad things about me. She wouldn't defend me, and I have a right to change an ambassador, and Rudy didn't say good things, but he wasn't crazy about it. It wasn't like a major topic, but I have the right to change. This was an Obama person that didn't want to hang my picture in the embassy. It's a standard is you put the president of the United States pictured in the embassy. This was not an angel, this woman, okay? this, And there were a lot of things that she did that I didn't like, and we will talk a, about that at some time. But I just want to let you know, this is not a baby that we're dealing with. Talk about the thing that's important then, because her hanging your picture isn't important. Uh, <laughs> Michael, react, and then I'll, I'll do my thing. <laughs> <laughs> playing into his pride now if there were more pressing matters more important reasons why he let her go it seems like now would be the time to bring them up and instead he's saying well Judy Ru Rudy Giuliani wasn't a fan and she didn't hang my picture we can talk about the other stuff later which whenever Trump says we'll talk about that later he never comes back to anything right. he ever says we'll talk about that later <laughs> which means th those are the reasons yeah. From what we've seen of the way that Trump communicates, if that is, which I believe it partly is, what's going on in his head, you know, and he says, these are part of it, we'll get to it, I think, no, this is what it is, and you're trying to make yourself look better. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think Trump often hides behind, like, well, there are things I can't say, but, like... You say lots of things you shouldn't say. Yeah, this is a weird argument. So he, he kind of sets it up here like, we'll talk about those later as if he, he can't say them yet. But no, right now when you're in impeachment here, there's nothing classified going on with an ex-ambassador that hasn't been sitting for almost a year. You can say the actual reasons or you can at least provide some form of context for it. This is the reason. And the thing for me here is he mentions Giuliani, like you said, which is really important, but he tries to downplay it after he does, right? So he goes, and Judy didn't say, and Rudy didn't say good things. Now you have me doing it. Uh, but he wasn't crazy about it. It wasn't like a major topic, right? Because he realizes now that there's so much evidence from testimonies and stuff like that and Giuliani's two friends that have been arrested and that are on actual criminal uh, you know, they're facing criminal charges, all of that, that 
he realizes, okay, we have to mention that, yes, Giuliani was involved in Ukraine. I can no longer say that I didn't really know Giuliani because that's what you're saying before, even though we know he's been friends with Giuliani for years, right? Going back to the 90s, I think it was the 90s when was that clip of him and Giuliani kissing with Giuliani and drag. Um, <laughs> that whole thing. Um, so now he can't say, I don't know Giuliani. And now he can't say, oh, he had nothing to do with this. So now he's saying, well, yeah, he was there and he wasn't a fan of her, but it wasn't like a big deal. He, he didn't like really, he didn't, you know, try to get me to fire her. He just didn't like her. Trump, do you think that you understand context clues in people's voices well enough to say that Rudy Giuliani was not subtly or not so subtly hinting you should fire her, that he wasn't planting seeds at the very least? Do you think that the American public thinks that? Because I haven't heard a whole lot of people defend you from an intelligence point of view. They defend you from other points of view. Typically, not even... Trump supporters defend him on a, on substance matters, right? So this is a weird argument for me. Um, I wanted to mention those two things because I, I, you know, CNN wrote an article, but it, it's buried. MSNBC wrote an article about it. It's buried. Um, people are so concerned about impeachment that some of these quotes aren't really getting attention. And man, that Giuliani quote is yikes. Uh, so this was week two of impeachment hearings. Yay! Let's talk about those. Um, so guys, I'm not going to dive into all the testimonies from this week and talk about them piece by piece for a whole bunch of reasons. The first thing is um, that I don't want to talk about anything that I have not firsthand seen. I have watched a large amount of the impeachment hearings. I have not watched all of them. Uh, very time consuming. Uh, if, if you guys want to see impeachment hearing stuff. First of all, you, you can Google search it. You can Google search testimony by name. There are edits that cut it down. Do it. Go to YouTube. Watch them if you want. At the very least, watch breakdowns from multiple news sources because CNN edited out stuff that made some of the, the testimonies uh, look bad. Fox edited out all the things that make the testimonies look good. CNN kind of did a mishmash of the two. Just watch it from everywhere. Or Sorry, MSNBC. Just watch them from everywhere. Uh, watch breakdowns or go watch the C-SPAN footage and skip through, which is what I did. Um, let's talk about Sondland, though. This is the one that stood out to me the most because there's a lot of conversation about it. The Democrats are saying this is completely condemning. This is the nail in the coffin. Republicans are saying his testimony is the weakest. So let's talk about Sondland. I know um, I saw the whole thing. Michael saw large portions when he was out here. Um, so the first one I want to tap on is Sondland's spotty memory. So when he was testifying, there were multiple times where somebody would ask Sondland a question. Do you remember saying this? Remember being there? Do you remember having a phone conversation? Where Sondland would say, I don't recall, but if my colleagues who have testified that that happened, who are people that I trust, have said, and they have they have notes, right? They took note of everything going on, and they're saying that that happened. That sounds like something I would do. So yeah, that probably happened. Um, and the Republicans kept hitting the, the nail on the head of, but if you don't recall, why are you here? Now, he he answers that by basically saying, well, I'm here to confirm that, yes, those are, you know, there are things I remember, and I'm telling you what those are, and I'm making it clear things I don't remember, but where I would completely trust the testimony of Bill Taylor and people like that who have testified and said that these happened. Happened on a bunch of things, some of which we'll get to, but he also said he confirmed that, yes, in his eyes, and the eyes of the State Department workers, there was a quid pro quo. 
And his all he says basically that maybe isn't great for the Democrats is I saw a quid pro quo at the beginning in regards to uh, not investigating the Bidens, but investigating Burisma and um, the 2016 election corruption that's been debunked. And he says that neither he nor the majority of the state of the State Department workers really connected to the dots that if they're investigating Burisma, it's because of the Bidens. So he says now he understands it was a quid pro quo for investigating the Bidens. The State Department did not originally view it that way. But that spotty memory where he's able to say for sure, yes, this thing happened. I remember this. But he's not able to remember a lot of events, a lot of conversations, a lot of sentences. I guess for me, the question the question is, does the spotty memory hurt his testimony or does him being very open about this is a thing I do not fully recall. I can only go based on the testimonies of my peers and if it sounds like something I would say. And there were times where he said, um, I don't think that's how I would have worded that. I think they're misremembering how I said that. I probably would have said it like this. And there were many times where he said, yeah, that's that's the sentence I would say. That sounds accurate, but I don't fully recall. Does his clarifications help with the spotty memory, or does the spotty memory drown the entire thing? I didn't think that it was a big issue. Really, even if he has a spotty memory here, and he does, when he can't specifically speak to facts on things, he was backing up what his colleagues had stated and giving context for what they were saying and you know affirming their character and saying this is something I would or wouldn't have done, so giving character reference for himself and to the other people. So it provides context, if nothing else, and it helps to understand the dynamics of the people communicating and you know, what would have been going on in their heads at that time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was the thing for me was that he was very much pointing out, you know, this is a thing I don't remember, but that sounds like me. That doesn't sound like me. Stuff like that. And I think part of that is, and, and he even says in his, in you know, when he was doing his, his testimony, right? He even says, "Listen, we didn't think that anything was going on wrong at the time, so we didn't think we were going to have to testify about this. So I didn't commit this to memory. Do you remember a phone call that you had eight months ago that wasn't of hugely significant importance to you at the time?" Um, you know, which I think is really important here. The first thing that the Democrat lawyer said, we're going to talk about the Democrat lawyer in a minute, but the first thing that the Democrat lawyer said, the first thing was, are you a note taker? And Solomon says, no. And he goes, would you agree that note takers are going to remember things better than you? And he goes, um, I mean, some of them. <laughs> And the entire thing was was predicated on, yes, I believe most of the, the testimony from the people that took notes because they're people I can trust. Um, so let's let's talk about a specific moment from, from this. So a call is brought up by the Democrat lawyer to uh, Sondland of a call Sondland had in front of uh, one of his peers. He's on the phone. They're at a restaurant terrace. He's on the phone with Donald Trump. And according to, uh, I believe it was Bill Taylor's testimony, uh, he says to Donald Trump about Ambassador Zelensky. Uh, so, so Trump asked, did, did they do the investigation? Or, or are they going to do the investigation? He says, yes. Um, again, Sondland testified that that investigation had to do with Burisma in 2016 election, and he hadn't yet connected the dots that Burisma meant the Bidens. 
Um, but he says, yes, I think they're going to do it. He said, and then he says, according to, to testimony by one of his colleagues, he said, um, he loves your ass. He'll do anything you say. So they ask him about that. That's a, that's a direct quote. They ask him about it, and he laughs and responds, I don't remember the specifics of the call, but yeah, that sounds like about how I talked to Donald Trump. And the room got very uncomfortable. It was my favorite moment of the entire thing. Because the room got very uncomfortable, and the Democrat lawyer goes, what, what, what do you mean? Can you elaborate? And he goes, and he basically says, uh, by the way, at this point, I'm now just summarizing it i i didn't want to go get the exact quotes but basically at this point he just he just goes um donald trump and i spoke to each other with a lot of four-letter words or in this case three-letter words and it was such a moment of like the idea that as soon as that because most of the things he would say oh that sounds like something i would say so that probably happened but with this it was so clear like in a snap that he immediately went yeah i definitely i definitely said that that's great i can't believe this is being said in an impeachment hearing uh, it was great. It was hilarious. And he was literally laughing during that whole exchange. It was really good. Um, so that was just a fun moment. Um, and I also think it, it goes to, which is maybe what the Democrats are trying to do, by saying that specific line that sounds kind of funny and giving Sondland that reprieve and that laugh, it also humanizes Sondland to people that would maybe not see him um, in, in a positive light. So... Yeah, uh, Michael, do you have any thoughts on, on that moment or anything before I jump into the nitty-gritty here? No. Okay. Uh, I know it's, it's not really like a big important political moment. I just – it was hilarious. I wanted to talk about it. Um, so let's talk about the, the lawyers here for the impeachment hearing. Um, so the Democrats had Daniel Goldman and the Republicans had Steve Castor. So right off the bat, uh, Steve Castor's an idiot. He should not be the Republican lawyer. He was – he was bad. So I was watching this for context. I was watching with one of my friends who is very conservative. And even he was like, this guy does not know what he's doing. Um, he was losing pages. There's a solid minute where he says, flip to this thing. And and Sondland goes, what page number? And he goes, we don't have page numbers. And Sondland's like, yes, we do. It's my document. And the guy can't find the page, and he's all over the place. He misquotes things and has to go back and correct things multiple times. He asks questions that have nothing to do with what's going on. He asks leading questions, which is allowed but weird in this case. Uh, just he was he was all over the place um, and not good. And and by the way, I'm not the only one saying that he was unprepared. Rudy Giuliani attacked him for being unprepared. Uh, Rudy Giuliani attacked the Republican lawyer for being unprepared. So, like, the general consensus is, why is Steve Castor the lawyer for this? I have a theory there. I'll talk about it in a few. Democrat lawyer was Daniel Goldman. Goldman was composed. He knew what he wanted to do. And also, he was really boring, which I think hurts the Democrats' case here because you want people to be invested enough to listen. And if you have somebody who is asking the same question eight times in different ways just to get extra confirmation, it might seem like you're really building your case. What you're doing is you're making it to where people don't want to watch it. So they're just getting breakdowns, and the breakdowns are generally not accurate in this case. So you're hurting your case there. Um, so... 
that's my general breakdown of these of these lawyers here. Um, I'll talk about specifics, but Michael, you saw a little bit of, of, of how the lawyers were doing. Do you have thoughts on Caster or Goldman? I honestly, I mainly watched some of the testimonies. I didn't get enough viewing in of lawyers interacting with anybody that I could make an educated statement here. Do you have do you have thoughts on um, at the very least the concept of so Daniel Goldman the 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 Democrat lawyer that he would ask the same question seven eight times in different ways to Sondland to get extra confirmation? Um, do you think that was a good or bad move for the Democrats? If it's something where you're not clear and you need to be very sure, or if it's an important fact in it, I think it's good to get that extra confirmation. I mean, I get what you're saying about be boring for people to watch we are not voting on this this is all for the benefit of the people in that room the people in that room most of them are lawyers they're invested in this they want to know what's going on so I don't see it as an issue I wouldn't do it every time I don't think and I can't imagine it's necessary every time but I doubt he was if he's asking for that clarification I imagine it's important well, my concern is I don't think it's for the people in the room because the people in the room, it's a majority Dem. They're going to impeach Trump and then it'll go to Senate for, for trial. The issue is we have to flip so many Republicans uh, in the Senate in order to get him removed, convicted and removed from office that I think what they're trying to do is shift public opinion so much, even on the right, that Republican senators will listen to their constituents and impeach Trump. I think that's the goal here. Now, most polls are showing that the vast majority of America wants Trump impeached, which we kind of already knew. But, I mean, if that's their goal here, I just feel like I just feel like it's weird to do something that's going to dissuade people from watching. 11 hours a day of impeachment, nobody has time to watch that. They work full-time jobs. Um, like it's so much, unless you're in the news industry, you probably don't have time to watch all of the hearings. Like I've watched three quarters of them and I've done that by like skipping hours of sleep to watch after work. Like it's so much. I get that there are certain things you have to do, but it seems to me like they would want to streamline this or that they would want to put out an official release that's just you know, what they see as important moments or something to encourage the American public to watch, to dissuade to their opinion. I can see that, but I don't think that this is entertainment. This is law and this is politics and it should be operated that way. I agree. I just don't think Americans, uh, I, I don't think that a lot of Americans view it that way. I think that most Americans view it sort of as entertainment, right? They need to be entertained at all times. So doing it in a way that seems like it cannot be enjoyably watched means people just won't watch it. That's a people problem to me. I don't think that we should modify our justice system to be a form of entertainment to get people to watch. Well, I, it's not our justice system. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, let's. We have limited time. Let's jump to the last thing here on the actual uh, Sondland testimony here. I kind of impeachment overall, but... I have to do it. So, Devin Nunes... I don't understand why Devin Nunes is... 
um, the the voice for House Republicans. And I don't really understand why Adam Schiff is the voice for uh, Democrats, but Schiff is doing a much better job. Schiff is a hack, um, but he's at least composed and knows how to handle the political aspect of it. Devin Nunes, his opening statements at Sondland's testimony was a barrage of defenses and quotes from Do- from Donald Trump, where all he did was yell about the injustice of the impeachment hearing and then turned it over, right, where he told Sondland, well, you're only here to be smeared, which is ridiculous, a bunch of stuff like that. But then when it was his turn to question Sondland after Sondland's initial statements, um, everything he asked was either conspiracy theory or weird leading questions. So it was it was stuff like, well, why are, you know, are you aware of this? And Solomon would go, I'm not aware of that. And he'd go, well, it's true. Are you aware of this? And Solomon would go, I'm not aware of that. Well, it's true. Are you aware of this? I am not aware of that. Well, it's true. And a lot of it is stuff that's completely unconfirmed. There's never been proven to be true, right? Conspiracy theories, things that Trump talks about all the time. That seems now. Of course, it was only maybe ten minutes um, or or less of Nunez doing that before he turned it over to a Republican lawyer who was marginally better. But this just seems like there are so many Republicans in the House that would have been better um, as the voice of the Republicans than Devin Nunez, especially for this. Um, so th- I, I wanted to touch on that because I couldn't not say anything about Nunez. Mike, do you have any thoughts on Nunez or Schiff or or how they've handled this? Part of this that I'm interested in is the lawyers and the testimonies. I haven't seen enough of the lawyers yet. They're going to be the ones asking the important questions, I think. Yeah. Once you get members of Congress in there, from what I've seen, it's all it's all self-interest questions. It's not actually getting to the truth questions seems to be the case. So I'm not really impressed with either side there again the, the testimonies and trying to figure out what is truth what's being reported accurately is what i'm most concerned about yeah absolutely um so let's let's jump to um the other thing trump said on fox and friends that we need to talk about so on fox and friends donald trump said that if he's impeached which he will be um that he would fully support the Senate doing a trial for him, uh, trial on him. So they have to anyway, it's legally required. But he says he fully supports it, and, and so he's encouraging it to happen if he gets impeached. Let's talk about why he is okay with that. Here's why he's okay with that. In order to be convicted and removed from office, you have to have a two-thirds supermajority in the Senate. Currently, there are 53 Republicans and 47 Democrats, which means we need to flip 20 Republicans for him to be convicted and removed from office, which is basically just not going to happen, right? And that's why the Democrats are doing this public hearing that they're not required to do so they can try to flip public opinion enough that Republican senators will listen to the people and will impeach him, which I don't think is going to work. But regardless of it, will or won't work. This is why Trump wants them to do the trial because it won't work, right? He'll be he'll be 
you know, they'll say, well, no, you're okay. You're not being removed from office. You're not convicted. If that's the case, it can run in 2020 and he can now use this impeachment and that Senate hearing. He can say, well, they found nothing. They did an investigation. They found nothing. Well, that's not true. They didn't do an investigation and find nothing. You have a bunch of Republican cronies that are going to support you no matter what. That has nothing to do with your guilt or innocence. But it's going to claim it did, and his supporters are going to eat it up. That's why Trump wants this Senate hearing. Michael, do you have do you have thoughts on him saying he wants that that trial in the Senate? I think that's basically it. He's operating under the assumption, which I don't think is necessarily a, an incorrect assumption, that if and when the impeachment happens and it goes to trial, it's going to be incredibly difficult to flip 20 Republicans over to get that supermajority. I'm not saying it's outside the realm of possibility, but I'd say the chances are very minuscule. <laughs> and so with that being the case, that, that gives him another talking point in his 2020 campaign. He's like, oh, they went after me again. Corruption in 2016, corruption in 2019 I made it through we're going into 2020 uh, you know he, he's looking toward statements for his next campaign and how he can use this to his advantage yeah which make no mistake he will use this to his advantage um, <clears throat> so the last thing here uh, I have this in my notes as Obama and his talking problem um, so Barack Obama has given two statements now in the last about week, week and a half that he's come under fire for. And I think they present an interesting look at how American politics are working right now. So the first thing is he urged Democrats not to support policies that are too far left right now because our focus should be defeating Donald Trump. There's so much to unpack there. I'm going to let Michael start because I do my thing. Y'all know me. I'm going to do my my uh, muted rant thing. So let's let Michael start here. <laughs> it makes sense. And the matter of fact is... No, the fact of the matter is... Folks, I've not got my morning coffee yet. <laughs> that the majority of Americans experience what I've seen online are not are not as far left as what a lot of the candidates are running on so it is pushing people away from voting for some of the candidates that they're trying to push if you become I'm not gonna say moderate but if you come in a little bit closer to the center you have a larger base that you can get to vote for you and so I think that that's not a bad strategy he's proposing it's if you, if you look at the situation, what's our best strategy going forward? The Democrats have had a rough time as far as presidential elections, which is in 2016. Uh, <laughs> we had Bernie, who's going all the way left. The DNC shuts him out. He would have won, though. Clinton was a moderate. She lost to Trump. They don't want moderates. Right. Clinton was unelectable. After this happens, Bernie goes even further left. Then the Democratic Party starts following him. Well, the problem wasn't necessarily with Clinton's views so much as who she is. I mean, some of it was. But 
there's also people don't want Hillary Clinton. There are a lot of people who just wouldn't vote for her and for some reason voted for Trump instead. That is a whole different topic that I won't vote for her. She verbally abused her husband's victims. Let me vote for this guy who is potentially a rapist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but again, the majority of Americans don't seem to be as far left as the, the Warrens and the Sanders and the Warren, Elizabeth Warren, not Warrens from the horror movies. Uh, hey, they were real people. They were real <laughs> And so I think that what he's saying has merit. Okay. And, and that's just the game of politics. How do I get elected? And then how do I go from there? Not saying that that's what I want, but I'm saying for our strategy in our political climate, it's not a bad one. Okay. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna do this as calmly as possible. Um, okay. So first of all, from a strategy perspective, people don't want a moderate Democrat. They just don't. So even the people that the progressives are saying are moderates, like Buttigieg, and Tulsi Gabbard, they're not moderates. They are not moderates. They would have been considered far left if they ran when Obama ran. They're not moderates. They're seen as moderates now. They're not. Clinton was a true moderate. Nobody wanted Clinton. Yes, part of that was because of who she is, right? That's why I didn't want Clinton was because of who she was. But also, she's flip-flopped on policy. You can say that's a Clinton issue, but it's not just a Clinton issue. It's an issue of moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans who are in office. Now listen, I'm a moderate. I love me some moderate. I want a moderate president. But from a strategical point of view here, it's not going to happen. And the reason it's not going to happen is the right doesn't want a center-right Republican, right? They don't want, they don't want Kasich to be president. He's not Republican enough for them. He's not going to support the corporations that pay Republicans checks, right? He's not going to sell out to the NRA. He's not going to sell out to major health care. He's going to stick to his principles. Republicans don't want him. Democrats don't want somebody who's going to sell out to major health care, which the Democrats do, sell out to lobbyists, stuff like that. The reason Clinton's opinions have flip-flopped is she has no pr- she has no principles. She only cares only cares about what is popular at the moment and what she's being paid to say. She supports Wall Street. She supports major health care when it benefits her and doesn't when it doesn't benefit her. That's why people don't want the moderates. So it has very little to do with, with the opinions of the moderates as it has to do with the fact that if you're a moderate politician, you are almost always selling out to corporations, unprincipled, and flip-flopping on your views. Buttigieg is doing this now. Buttigieg is becoming more moderate, trying to gain more traction, which to his credit is is working, but he's also selling out. And I was a huge Buttigieg fan, but he's selling out. He's taking lobbyist money. He is he is already starting to have the talking points that he knows will make him popular with moderates, right? So he talks about healthcare, and he doesn't want Medicare for all. He wants Medicare for all who choose. Which isn't a thing. It's not even possible, really, to be a thing. Pick one or the other. You can. There's a whole bunch of things you could do to be helpful, and to have a, a more moderate opinion on healthcare that will, you know, reasonably satisfy both sides. That not gonna do it. Not gonna cut it. Because anybody that can do math knows that that doesn't work. Then people are paying taxes for healthcare that they don't want. 
that's ridiculous. Um, it's, it's not going to work. So Obama saying, well, don't go too far left. Don't go too far left. Well, last time you said that you supported, you supported Clinton. She lost the election to a crazy person. Because she's evil. And she's too moderate for the majority of voting people. It's not going to work. This is, to me, strategically, it's it's inane, it's pointless, and this is Obama diminishing his legacy here. Because he was seen as progressive when he took office, and he repeatedly reinforces, nope, I am your average, run-of-the-mill, bought-out, corporatist Democrat. So the second quote of Obama's here, this is the last thing for the day, folks. The second thing here is Obama... Uh, Obama said uh, he, he he did another interview. <laughs> so I, I want to read Obama's quote here a little bit. So he said uh, he said <laughs> he I don't even want to say he said he urged uh, Democrats, nervous Democrats to chill out. Um, this was on Thursday. Um, he, he said everybody needs to chill out on the candidates. But gin up about the prospect of rallying behind whoever emerges from this process. Okay. So let's talk about that. He, he It's in a larger context, and that's the quote that's being pulled and going around. So to clarify <coughs> what he's saying here, this is Barack Obama doing what Bill Maher and the majority of Democrats did last time that lost them the election. It doesn't matter who the candidate is. Everyone's better than Trump. Just support whoever comes out regardless of who they are. Shut up, Obama. You had a reasonably good legacy. I mean, war crimes aside, you had a reasonably good legacy. People reasonably liked you. The majority of America thought, ah, he's a good guy even if he wasn't a great president. Some people thought you were a great president. Stop talking. You're not helping your case. You're hurting your legacy here. Dude. Dude, no, I'm not going to support whatever Democrat comes out. I'm not going to blindly support somebody. If Klobuchar gets the nomination, I'm not voting for Klobuchar. It's not happening. It's not. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Okay, so I'm calming down. Vote for the people your conscience will allow you to vote for. I can tell you I won't be voting for Donald Trump because my conscience won't allow me to. I can tell you that there are a bunch of Democrats who I would be okay voting for. I can tell you there are a bunch of Republicans that if they were running, I'd be okay voting for. I would love, and I mean love, love to vote for Kasich. Would love to. He's not running. And he told Bill Maher why he's not running. Nobody wants a moderate. <laughs> That's why. Uh, but come on, Obama, chill out and vote for whoever comes out of this. No, I'm not going to vote for a corporatist Democrat who I think is going to be just as corrupt as our Republican president. Sorry, not going to happen. I'm not voting for Klobuchar if she gets nominated. I don't think she will. I'm not going to vote for her. I don't know if I'd vote for, for Buttigieg at this point. I don't know. Maybe I would. I don't know. But I'm not going to just choose who I'm voting for based on, well, they're not Donald Trump. I'm not doing the lesser of two evils thing here. I'm just not. That's not how politics is supposed to work. That soundbite is so bad. It's so diminishing to Obama's legacy. 
And it's such a... Such a condescending comment. That he clearly thinks the American people don't understand politics enough, aren't intelligent enough to be having these debates, to be passionate about these debates. So he says, why don't you just calm down and then just vote Democrat when it comes time for, for the presidential election. That's essentially what this quote is. Michael, do, do you share my take? Do you have a different take? What are your thoughts here? Yeah, it's a little condescending. And again, I'm not just going to vote for somebody because they're not Trump. I'm not going to vote for Trump. But whoever I vote for is going to be somebody with whom I find a lot of common ground on political ideologies and a person that I don't have any major moral qualms with. So saying just just vote whoever the Democrat is, I'm not, I'm not doing identity politics. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's my thing, is I'm not going to do the toe-the-party line thing. I'm going to vote for who I think is is qualified and i'm gonna hope that me doing so and others like me doing so will help to weed out corruption within both parties i mean that's the ultimate goal here and the more that this goes on and and i'm not progressive but the more that this goes on the more that i feel like well maybe what we do need is an overhaul of the system just to get all the corruption out there which by the way is what donald trump was supposed to be it's not what he is, but it's what he, he claimed he was going to do. And at this point, it's now just frustrating. This whole thing is a cesspool of the corrupt feeding the corrupt, ultimately. And, because I know that's how you guys want to end the episode, uh, guys, that is the last story for Moderately Independent this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. I know this is a bit shorter episode. We'll be back with a, with a longer episode next week. Um, but thank you guys for listening. We love to get to do this. We love that there are people listening. You guys have a great week. And remember to stay political. See you next time.